we need to get this right. We need to not be carrying any kind of level of risk around the content that we hold, whether it's fresh or not, whether it's accurate or not, that we need to make sure it is so that because we're people in our branches on the front line talking to our members about um, products and the, you know, how they kind of apply for those products or manage those products, if we can't be sure that that's correct, we could be misadvising people. It's taking everything that you can and milking membership, I think, for all it's worth um, and not being afraid to do that. Um, and then also feeding your own learning back in as well. Hi, I'm Paul Miller and this is Digital Workplace Impact, where we investigate and explore the ideas, practices and people that are impacting the new digital worlds where we all work. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry through membership, benchmarking and boutique consulting services. And if you'd like more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. And on today's episode, I'm joined by John Simons. John is Digital Channels Senior Manager for Nationwide Building Society, a mutual fund uh, financial services organization based in the UK. And I'm also joined by Shimrit James. Shimrit is the Director of Knowledge for the Digital Workplace Group. And it's really all about the journey that Nationwide has been on, where they went from pretty much the bottom of the digital workplace group benchmarking league tables to pretty much at the top. And it's a journey, as you'll hear about, about transformation. And Shimrit uh, documented the Nationwide story. And John is the man behind it, the architect of all of this. So I give you John Simons and Shimrit James. So it's great to be here uh, with my guest um, on the show today. Um, that's John Simons and Shimrit James. Um, and the story today is how Nationwide, within the space of three years, Nationwide, which is a financial services uh, what you would call a mutual society or as we call a building society uh, in the UK, climbed from near the bottom of the digital workplace groups benchmarking tables in 2013 to very close to the top in 2016. And uh, Shimrit was involved in documenting that story for DWG. And I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by uh, John, who I'll describe as the the architect of the the nationwide journey and improvement, and it's great to have you both on the show today. And John, maybe you could just start off by describing your your role inside Nationwide. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, I head up the digital channels team in our internal comms um, community, and um, when the period we're looking at, when we went through the internet transformation, we were the intranet team, so that was our sole focus at the time. Um, but since we've kind of landed the majority of that work, we've transformed the team to look at a broader remit now. So we're getting to do all sorts of other exciting things too. That, that's that's great. And and so so just going back to 2013, and it can probably seem quite a while ago now. But why did things have to change, and how did the case for change get made? 
Yeah. Well, at that time, we had a very outdated intranet. Um, I think, uh, remembering back, I think it was in the region of about 10 years old, maybe not quite that long, but, you know, pretty old. Hadn't had any real major updates, and the, the technology we were using had gone out of support. So there was a kind of an imperative to get onto a supported platform. Um, but actually, you know, although that was the trigger, as many people, I guess, will experience that, that's the only time there's really a trigger to make improvements, maybe in internal um, platforms. Um, we knew that there was a lot of work to be done to actually just broadly improve it. Uh, we had masses of pages on there, 20, uh, sorry, 40,000 pages of content that we knew the vast majority of which just weren't being used or maintained properly. Um, the search wasn't a true search. It was just kind of a best bets list that if you put in the right term, you could find it. And if you didn't have a clue what that term was, you couldn't find it. Um, very flat content um, and not very usable generally. So people that had been around for a very long time had worked out how to use it. Um, and people that were new to the organization struggled and had to ask those others, you know, how to find the information they needed. So it just wasn't in a good state. And as I say, we had this kind of opportunity to do something about that because we knew that we needed to replace the platform. Um, but we knew that this was our opportunity actually to make more of that, to not just do it as a standard upgrade and copy all the rubbish across to the new platform, but to actually take it as an opportunity to make a new start and actually transform the way that our internet worked for our employees across the organization. Uh, I just Was it difficult to get the, the, the leadership support, the resourcing um, and, and so on to, to embark on this journey? I think to start with a little. So we did manage to convince some leadership to kind of take an interest. Um, but we were also, you know, because we thought, well, this is our one shot to ever have a go at this. Uh, we probably tried to take off bite more than bite off more than we could chew and it was just we were struggling really to make progress and we didn't hadn't done enough really to engage the senior leadership in terms of supporting what we were trying to do so we kind of had a false start we ran for a few months and actually realized we were going to need to call a halt to this and um, rationalize a bit more what we were trying to do focus on some key things that we wanted to make improvements on um, but also help to help tell the story kind of get a real um, external view, benchmarked view from yourselves around what was the true state of our in internet, where did we need to make improvements. Um, so we ran a set of benchmarks that showed where we were and then used that information to then go out afresh to leaders across the organization and say, look, this is the problem that we're trying to fix. This is where our problems are. We need your help and support when we go out and engage with your employees in your areas to help us do this work and fix the issue. That's that's great. And and Shim, when you were um, uh, looking at uh, nationwide, what what struck you when you sort of took this, if you like, helicopter view across the the way that the organisation had improved? What what struck you as the overall approach, if you like, or methodology that that they adopted that led to success? I mean, one of the, the big things that struck me when I was reviewing my notes and looking back at the story that John told was this level of self-awareness that they had about what they had to do. Um, they seemed at every point to, to be able to take stock, step back and say, is this working? Isn't this working? What do we do? What do we need to do next in order to progress? And I think that's really important. I think when you're looking at transformation projects or upgrade projects, you can get 
so caught up in the detail that it, it can be quite hard to take that step back and do it. Um, but as John said, they were able to say, for example, actually, we've bitten off more than we can chew. What do we need to do in order to make this successful? Let's get benchmarked. Let's use that to, to help us prioritize what we need to focus on and to get leadership support. Um, another thing that we spoke about was this idea of upgrade versus transformation. And you heard John use the same language just now. It could have been a straightforward upgrade project, but actually that would have led them straight back to where they were in a couple of years' time. So instead, this idea of transformation was used, um, which really let them think about what is it that we want to be able to do, um, which they obviously then used the benchmarking for. And just that shift in mindset and that self-awareness to step back and say, what is it that we're trying to do? Really help them say, okay, how do we make this sustainable? So the idea that they were able to then focus on governance, to look at team structure, to look at usability, to look at how do we really make our content useful and meaningful for our users, not just as a one-off during an internet migration, but long-term. Um, those things are really important, I think, for, for a successful transformation. Um, so that self-awareness, I think, um, really led to a successful approach. Mm. And is that why in the in the fantastic blog post that you you wrote, the, th the three part series, which will include a link in in the show notes, is, is that why you, you chose your analogy of um, from caterpillar through cocoon to butterfly that that, you know, that that literal intra, uh, transformation? And was that was that did that metaphor just jump out at you or or did you search for it for a little while? Well, I'm a lover of children's stories and The Hungry Caterpillar is a, a lovely story with beautiful imagery. Um, but as John was talking and as I was going back through the notes and, and analysing them, that three-stage story or kind of three-part story really came through so nicely um, in terms of the caterpillar and kind of as John was talking where they were at the moment. The idea of the cocoon, which is when you're immersed in the project itself and what do you need to do in order to be able to try and make that successful. And then once you emerge, you have this beautiful butterfly, but actually how do you make that sustainable? So many times we'll see organizations who do the hard work inside of the project, project when they're in that cocoon, but then they don't go back into business as usual and they don't put the things that they need to in place in order to make that sustainable so they don't slip back into the same caterpillar phase if we use the same uh, imagery um, where they have yeah. to do the whole thing all over again. So I think but, when you talk about transformation, the idea of caterpillar to butterfly just seemed to fit really nicely. So um, is it possible in, in a metaphor butterfly world for a butterfly to revert back into a cocoon and even on a really bad day to to end up back as a as a caterpillar no no disservice to caterpillars <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely i think I'm, and john i'm sure you'll speak about this in more detail but if we think specifically about the work they did around their content this, uh, I remember John saying that they were able to cut it down from 40,000 pieces of content to 10,000. But actually, that was a multi-year project. That took, I think, I remember you saying, John, two to three years overall to well, be able to, yeah, to finish the, the, pro the project. And if that hard work hadn't have gone in after the, the finish of the specific project and then kind of carrying on, um, the content very quickly can, can become unusable again. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was it was the actual period to cut down the pages was about that. But actually, we knew that just reducing the pages wasn't going to solve the issue. That actually, we needed to improve the content and the structure of the content. And that's, as you say, that's a bit you're referring to that took two, three years. And it was that much effort from the team to keep pushing at it and working with the business to make sure that what we ended up with was really high quality and not just, you know, as I say, it's, it's very easy to get stuck in that, well, we've got a deadline of a date. We just need to shift our content from here to here and we'll tackle it later. And that later never comes. Um, but we <laughs> knew that we needed to focus on and keep working at it to get there. How, how did you um, decide that... Um, uh, as as Shim said, that you weren't going to just focus on an intro and upgrade, which is in a way a kind of easier sell, but you were actually going to go uh, back in days when transformation was not such a popular term for an intranet, intranet transformation to really go for the why of this, to focus on the kind of less fashionable areas like, you know, really, we just need to improve our content. We need to improve our governance. How, how, how did that come about? Um, I think, you know, part of it, there was quite a lot of experience on the internet team that we kind of, we'd worked with it for years and we knew that it wasn't in a good place. Um, and the you know, you know the benchmarking information backed that up, uh, and you know you go through lots of frustrating conversations with um, stakeholders out in the business who want to create internet content, and you kind of have all the right kind of discussions around what it needs to achieve. But ultimately, if they don't listen to you, you know you're going to end up with information on there that isn't going to achieve its business goals. People aren't going to read it, or they're not going to find the answers they need, and it just kind of it decays, I guess, um, for want of a better word. So I think the experience in the team told us that we needed to fix that. And I think the one of the things that came out in the benchmarking was that we'd ranked, as you say, right down the bottom of the table in terms of things like governance. And that that was highlighted as for a financial organization, that was quite a surprise. But, you know, normally, with all the regulation that we have to work with, that that would normally be something that we'd have under control. So I think just purely for the type of business that we do, that gave a highlight that, we need to get this right. We need to not be carrying any kind of level of risk around the content that we hold, whether it's fresh or not, whether it's accurate or not, that we need to make sure it is so that because we're people in our branches on the front line talking to our members about um, products and the kind of how they kind of apply for those products or manage those products, if we can't be sure that that's correct, we could be misadvising people. Um, so that's a real kind of, that was a key focus. We need to get that right. And in, in usability terms, I think it's just we'd come through from a business area that had dealt with our external uh, website and we'd kind of seen those practices in place and knew that could see the benefits and, and wanted to adopt that internally to focus on that as well. And And how did you, because, you know, I think what's so interesting about this on a whole bunch of different levels, partly the very holistic and um, approach you took, the the other one the ambition of the project but the thing the thing that really strikes me is is this quality of persistence and adaptation i mean presumably organizations being organizations and i can't believe the nationwide have been fundamentally different was that it's easy to then start blaming people rather than process or start blaming people rather than rather than um content um and and how did you kind of keep you know, at it, if you like, that sort of fortitude? Um, 
through the project, I think we just had, as I say, the work that we'd done initially with the leaders around this familiarization sessions that we'd run to get them on board. Um, and we had, you know, gone, gone through a period of having a project board that didn't have the right people in it without wanting to kind of, you know, offend anyone, but you know, it wasn't the right kind of engagement of the right communities to having the right people in it that, at the level that they could actually enforce some of those things we were doing, got the right kind of level of buy-in with a member of Exco kind of being lead, working as executive sponsor for the project. So through the project, that helped sustain it. And actually that also enabled us to put a team structure in place that meant that when the project finished and we ran into BAU, that we still had the resource and focus that we needed to engage with the business and continue to work on it. So I think it was that initially that senior sponsorship and focus that it had that kind of, I guess, opened the door, but then it was down to us to take advantage of that, making sure that we knew we had the right setup to continue it and, uh, and, to con- and to, as you say, be focused on doing that and not giving up. Mm. And, and Shim, what, what, you know, what surprised you uh, most from this this story of internet evolution um, uh, transformation? Um, I think one of the things is, and you used the word persistence, Paul, um, with precisely that. I think so often you you don't hear really about what happens after the end of the project and the work that carries on in order to kind of tie up the loose ends. Um, and I think hearing the amount of dedication and work and kind of hard slog that the team put into making sure that they were able to continue the work that needed to be done um, was, was not, I guess, not surprising in that it's great that they did it, but it's surprising because you don't often hear about it, I guess, and hear, hear about that hard part of the work um, beyond the project. Um, I still get flashbacks to when I was a practitioner and trying to do internet migrations and content cleanups. Um, and so being able to sustain that level of, of kind of attention to detail over the years is is really inspiring and is, is what, what it takes really to be able to, be able to create great content. Um, and the other area that was, I guess, surprising to me was the, the level of impact that being able to use benchmarking results can have. Um, I know that being able to be benchmarked at the beginning when you knew things weren't great, John, and getting yeah. the results back that confirmed that, um, but not just then letting the report die a death in, the, in a, a virtual or real um, draw, but actually using those to engage your leadership and to say, this is why this is risky for us. This is where we need to focus. This is what it means for your business. And really using those to, to drive engagement from your leaders um, was also really, really heartening to hear and the impact that that can have on a, on a project. Mm. And, and John, uh, I know that you tested with, with more than the um, uh, kind of s- small population of six users that we, you know, traditionally do when we're benchmarking. And, you know, I've sat in so many meetings where somebody says, so you're going to test the the internet on six or eight people inside this company and there's 250,000 and they go, you, you've got to be joking, haven't you? And I'll, and we say, well, here's all the evidence. We, we know that after the first three, the results will start to repeat themselves and we can test on 60, we could test on 600. 
um, but you but but there's another reason to test on more people as well, isn't there? Because as you as you've said um, in in the blog post, it, it's it's about generating confidence in the uh, kind of decisions being taken on that. Is 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 that the reason why that happened? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's exactly what you called out that you can go and t- turn around to leaders and say we know and we do working in the industry that six users or so will tell you pretty much everything you need to know but when they're investing a significant amount of money and you know a lot of resource and time into improving a major system you're right they're going to say are you kidding me we need to know this is going to work and we so we took that decision we weren't forced into it we said we are going to make sure that we've proven we've consulted as many different types of um employees across the population uh, to a large enough extent that we can we, there will be no argument about whether we're doing it in the right way or not so it was a it was a mm. conscious decision from us not not being forced into it like that rejection from somebody saying you haven't tested it properly it's just we wanted to make sure um that we had the convincing information for people that weren't mm. au fait with the the way that that um that usability generally works also it just gave us a great opportunity to engage with loads of people and, and let them know about what was coming and help them feel that they'd had an input and mm. an influence on the way that we created it. Yeah, and, and I think it's really interesting that, that you know, um, just holding people's hands through a process, even taking them through something that really doesn't need any training um, is more effective than just deploying something. And I know that um, one of the things you did was was put some time into what you might what we might call classroom based learning rather than just relying on e learning what What was your thinking around that so that was where we had had this is for our publisher community so we 've got a distributed publishing model um, and we have around well i think now around seven hundred and fifty publishers across our internet, um, which has probably grown from where we wanted it to, but that 's because as part of our governance, we've made sure that every single page has an owner and that there's an accountability to update that page every six months. That's probably spread the load a little bit wider. Um, but at the time, I think it was probably around five to 600 people that we took through training, as you say, in the classroom, because training up until then had been patchy and some people really knew what they were doing in terms of uh, you know, aligning to standards and making sure the content was clear and well laid out and so on. And some just had never had any of that training. So we just said, well, let's just, you know, start from scratch, make sure everybody's got exactly the same level of training and understanding so that when we go to the upgrade, we're, we know we're already in a good place because all the people that we're asking to keep the internet in a good state have been equipped to be able to do that. Obviously, it was a very intensive and uh, uh, long process. Um, we had a, a training stream on the project to tackle that. It was, it was no small piece of work. But it just meant that, you know, as I say, rather than it being a lift and shift and just let it decay again, if we really wanted that content to be kept in a good state once we'd moved over, we needed to invest in our publishers to make sure they actually knew how to do that. Mm. Um, and what would you say the biggest challenges were that you, that you faced during this, um, this, this program? Um, and, and how did you overcome them? I think it was that um, the content cleanup, getting... Firstly, just reducing the number of pages, but then um, we wanted to apply a, a consistent set of standards across those pages that were left. Um, so we didn't get a lot of challenge back in terms of reduction because we, we based that on um, page usage 
we had the statistics to back it up and we cut a line. I think it was like if it had received less than 50 page, uh, 50 page views over the past six months, then we would say we're going to remove that page unless they said, no, we absolutely need it for a business reason. And actually, we got very few challenges back on that. Where we got challenges was where people felt that they had wanted to create their own kind of look and feel and brand within their site. And we said, well, no, there is going to be one consistent set of standards and branding across the whole internet, partly because, as I say, some of these pages get used when our branch uh, colleagues are talking to our members. And actually, it just doesn't give a good impression if it doesn't look like it's a nationwide page, if it looks like somebody locally has created something completely different. And that's where we had a lot more challenge back, I think, because um, people get wedded to, to what they've created. They, they've taken on a, a side of desk role, an extra responsibility, which they see as being creative. And obviously, they get a little bit protective over that when you tell them they can't do it precisely how they want to. So that produced some difficult conversations at times, but never got to the point where we had to back down. You know, we were always able in the end to, to convince them. Um, mm. But, you know, there was, there was work to do there to, to keep them on board and help them understand why we're doing it. And then we yeah. really touched on, you know, the challenge around training about how much effort that was um, to get <laughs> that in place. Yeah. And, and so and what's, what's the most pleasing, what part of what you've achieved are you most satisfied, most proud of? Well, um, I think it's... As, as we say, it wasn't on. Uh, we we're proud to have launched it on launch, but we still knew there was work to be done. I think we uh, probably about a year or so ago, kind of looked around and get the feeling like I think it might be finished. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that it's ever finished, but you know what I mean. Um, but we we actually tackled the bulk of everything that we wanted to tackle, and we felt like actually it's now a really healthy internet. And the the kind of grief that you get in the early days when people are getting used to a new system, no matter how much effort you put into kind of making sure that it works as it needs to for them and looks just right, there are always going to be issues where they're still getting used to it or maybe didn't quite get something right. And we've managed to iron those out. And actually, you know, that after a, a year or two looking around and thinking, hey, our internet really does stand up against anybody else's. And I think then that got proven through, we did a couple more benchmarks where we'd gone significantly higher in the rankings and you think that we've got external endorsement for the fact that we've taken something that was in a really bad place and got it somewhere really healthy. And, you know, we attended some of the DWG uh, member meets and talked about what we've done. And you start to get that feedback from others where they're really enthusiastic as well. So it's those kind of responses back where you see employees um, giving you good feedback or at least not complaining when you make a change, which is unusual. <laughs> Or, or that kind of external feedback when people are kind of wanting to know what you've done so that they can do the same. I was going to say, it's a bit like when you move into a new house and when you're having building work done and you've got boxes yeah. everywhere, it's not quite finished. The builders are still there. And even once you've moved in, there's still stuff to be done. And that feeling of actually, this is now home. Um, yeah. I think we've done everything we wanted to <laughs> yeah. do. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's that. I think it's, it's that feeling. And that's not a, a one-off project that can take time. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember I think it was at one of the report backs when you got benchmarked after making the improvements and and I I remember the kind of atmosphere amongst the team as as you know this in in impartial external feedback was presented back and it was like 
we we've really achieved something and it, it is it's i mean it's a, a terrifically satisfying thing so uh shim i mean how did how, how overall would you say that dwg was uh, able to support nationwide on this on this journey i mean john's obviously referenced the benchmarking and so on but you know what how's that helped would you say uh, well, we spoke about the, the initial benchmarking um, where there were all four areas that we benchmark in that were taken up and how those were used to help prioritize where they should be focusing on. So for, it was mainly usability and governance as the higher priorities and how that was used to engage senior leaders. Um, and that, that can be a really important input just to help you build your roadmap and work out what do we need to be focusing on now, what can come a little bit further down the line. Um and obviously, nationwide, were you guys were members um, during the, the process of this. And so I know, John, you spoke about how useful the kind of deep and wide member knowledge was for you, because not only could you yep. get inspiration from, from seeing what other people were doing within member meetings. I know Barclays was one that was mentioned a couple of times by you and Paul when I was interviewing yeah. you. Um, and that's, that can be really inspirational just to see the art of the possible and to see what other people are doing. But then also really delving into the detail of how others have gone about doing their own programs and projects through one-on-one -on -one phone calls, through meetups there. And I think that, that can really, if the, the meetings and the online sessions can help provide inspiration, I think those kind of practitioner on practitioner conversations can kind of help you accelerate what you're doing a little bit because without having to repeat the mistakes of others or being able to learn from what others have done um, that can be such a help when you're in the bubble of, of um, a program or a project um, and obviously doing the benchmark again in 2016 where they went from I think it was near bottom um, for all four benchmarks to in near right at the top for, for strategy and governance and then top half to half the usability really helps show it's a, an objective stamp of progress um, that all the work that they've done has actually had an impact um, uh, and objectively had an impact as well which lets you go back to your stakeholders and to say you believed in us you gave us your support this is what we've been able to achieve with that um, and to kind of help give you the buy-in to keep doing what you're doing um, and I'd also say that member meeting where Nationwide were able to showcase what they've done, the resources that were generated out of that are now part of our knowledge base. So you kind of pass it on and, and others are now learning from what you guys have done um, and the, the kind of virtual circle goes on. So it's, it's taking everything that you can and milking membership, I think, for all it's worth. Um, and not being afraid to do that, um, and then also feeding your own learning back in as well. Paul, I think I remember you saying that Nationwide were like the, the model member um, that we would like to have. Yeah, so, I mean, it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and, and um, I've, I've definitely cited Nationwide quite a few times to sort of reassure other organisations, wherever they are. I mean, I was talking to a company, uh, headquartered in Hong Kong, somebody else in Switzerland, and said, look, th this this is quite hard work, uh, but if you keep at this and you, um, you push on all the right areas, you will achieve success in the end. 
you know, and there's been a number of organizations, I'd say, nationwide's one of them, uh, Bank of New York, Mellon, uh, I think we can see it happening with Schneider Electric, um, ExxonMobil, you know, organizations that, that have gone on that journey and achieved the success. And, uh, John, what, what would you do differently if you had your time uh, if you went through the whole journey again what would what would what's what's the thing you'd like to change i think um lose that false start definitely <laughs> i think taking your time to really focus on what it is you need to achieve i mean i i think perhaps you need the confidence which we didn't have at the time around um it's okay it's not a one-shot deal and um you know you don't have to cram everything in but really understanding you know, as, as shim just called out that kind of research understanding what other people have done how they've achieved it and kind of building in a longer plan which is ultimately what we did to say well we're going to tackle the really important bits and then we're going to take our time over several years to do the other bits that we know we need to do and it's not a rush and i think mm. that first i don't know what was it six to nine months which was a real frenzy and where we felt like you know we were running out of time to do what we wanted to do and weren't really focused then on the content, that kind of thing. If I could have taken that time, it probably would have been less time if we'd just taken a step back and said, you know, what, what's really important and what can we wait for? Yeah. Um, and so what's what's the um, the current plans for the future? What's, what's your plan over the next 12 to 18 months? Where are you focusing? We are. It's funny because... Only last week, I was starting to look at, you know, when we were at the start of this process, I pulled together like a five-year vision. Where do we want to be? Um, what do we want to deliver? And actually, we've kind of delivered 90% of that now, <laughs> five oh, years well on. So we've actually been really successful in what we wanted to achieve. Mm-hmm. And just, but, you know, we're now no longer an internet team. We're a digital channels team. So we look after social media and um, video and looking into podcasting and so on. So it's restart what do we want to do in the next five years and start making that plan um so i think our next 12 months are going to be very much focused around that kind of organizational strategic move to office 365 and making sure that we take what we've learned and the good bits of what we've got and and move the bits over that we need to move but not to do that in a rush but then also looking wider than that where where do we think we need to be as a digital channels team in five years time just starting that work now Hmm. And and Shim, you know, just kind of reading over the blog post you wrote, it, it strikes me that's a sort of little mini handbook for success, isn't it? Is is that the way you'd like to think that other people might use the uh, the blog posts, the uh, blogs, and hopefully this podcast? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I again, like I I remember what it's like being a practitioner, and you you don't always know if what you're doing is best practice, if even if you're years of experience it's always useful to know what others have done and to to keep abreast of what's worked for others and what hasn't worked as well and to learn from failures as well as successes so I think the blog post series this podcast um all of the kind of assets that people put out there saying what's worked for them and what hasn't is is there as a learning tool um the digital workplace and intranet field is one where Everyone is so happy to to share what they've learned and to also talk about their failures. But um, I think that's one of the great advantages of our field. Um, you know, 
director of knowledge that's something that you want to see you want to see people sharing and learning um together and collectively so i think that's that's absolutely the intention of the blog post series and also this podcast is to to learn from nationwide and to hopefully take those lessons into your own programs great well thank you for that and thank you so much john and thank you so much shimrit for this 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 fantastic tour around the uh, journey that you've been on and um, thank you so much for documenting it Shim and particularly thank you John for for taking Nationwide and and creating this terrific example of of success Um, that's been uh, that's been great thank you and uh, it's great to have you both on thank you thanks Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking, research and practitioner expertise. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. And if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the show, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash dwg underscore podcast this is paul miller wishing you well until next time